thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I love, I love that. Uh, I mean, we're all so separated right now. Uh, I do love like seeing people's faces and, and like just having good conversations with people. I really miss yeah. the camaraderie of, of our, what used to be normal day-to-day lives. Thanks for watching Morning Talk Show. Today's my conversation with John E. L. Tenney. John is uh, a paranormal investigator. He's been on some TV shows uh, doing that, and he's also just done it as a, as a profession for many years, decades actually. And I heard him on Connor Habib's podcast, and he was just such a great conversationalist. He he's had all of these paranormal experiences. Um, he has, you know, he's, he's had more than a lifetime's worth of them. And yet he is also not uh, one of those people who will nail it down and, and remove the mystery and tell you exactly what ghosts are, exactly what spirituality is. He's just open. And I think that's one of the reasons he has some of the experiences he has because of that openness and the openness, uh, also makes him a really great conversationalist. So this is kind of like an ultimate, like what I would call stoner conversation, um, even though we weren't stoned, or at least I wasn't, I don't know about him, but, uh, it, it just kind of runs the gamut from like the ghost of the Loch Ness monster to Jesus Christ and everything in between. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did like, and subscribe on whatever uh, platform you are listening to this or watching this on. I'll have links on the, under the YouTube video of, uh, some of John's, um, online presence and his own interesting, um, podcast. So, Thanks for watching and enjoy. Uh, so John E.L. Tenney, welcome to Morning Talk Show. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, uh, I was really into your conversation with, uh, with Connor Habib. Mm-hmm. And he's such a great conversationalist and, and was really, uh, so anybody listening to this should also, once you've listened to this entire interview, go listen to that entire interview because it's, uh, it's, uh, I thought really that, that inter- I thought that interview was really funny because like, I obviously knew the recorded part of the interview that I did with him, but I didn't know how he was going to start it. Right. And he, he started it about the first time we met, which is a completely insane story. And it was the perfect, he, I mean, Connor knows what he's doing. Uh, absolutely. Uh, he has a sense of, of narrative that I think the two of you guys share. You know, he, he really set the stage for it. Yeah. And uh, it, he and I have a pretty different, uh, pretty different strategies. Like he, he's so researched and stuff. And in our, in my conversation with him, um, it came up that, uh, you know, he watches everything he's done meticulously and all of that. And uh, I have this very, uh, um, I don't know if Zen is the right word, but I'm, I'm, I'm more of like the conversation exists while it exists. And, and uh, it, it's just sort of how it, how it works for me where I, I, I may or may not listen back to it. And, but I'll, 
you know, I'll retain the sort of uh, vibe of it or something. And, and so, yeah, but he is I've, so I've, thorough. I've never listened to any interview that I've done after I've done it because I too am like, it's transient, it's gone. Like my yeah. thoughts might be different because it's a day later. Yeah. But I also thought because of what you said about Connor being really meticulous, I thought it was great. I did listen to, I, he told me that I would be interested in hearing the beginning part because I didn't right. know he was going to talk about our first meeting. Yeah. And when I first listened to it, there's a glitch in that podcast. Oh. So it plays for like three minutes and then it starts over again. And, oh. I, and I almost called him up and told him. And then I didn't because I was like, oh, his podcast is kind of fucked up. I love it. Like, I love that my episode is the episode that screwed up. And then like four days later, he posts on Twitter, like, why didn't anybody tell me that that podcast was screwed up and glitches three minutes into the beginning? And I was like, haha. Okay. You know, I've listened to that conversation twice and I actually didn't catch that because I always listen while I'm doing, I was listening to things while I'm doing work. So I'm always in and out of something. And uh, that's how I knew it was such a great conversation because it kept drawing me in when I would have to leave it cool. and come back. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, what I was interested in having, cause you're a paranormal investigator and, uh, w which is completely fascinating in its own right. Um, but based on that conversation with Connor Habib, I was like, okay, so here's a paranormal investigator who has given a lot of thought to the nature of belief and uh like what that even means and not but given a lot of thought as in you're i don't think you're a preachy guy about that but it, it just seems like uh you know in your line of work um belief might even be one of your tools or something or one of your uh one of the things that sets the stage for what you see or, or you know you know what i mean does that make sense yeah it's so I really sometimes, uh, it, it really breaks down lines when I engage with people in paranormal situations, uh, when I go to conferences and things, because I grew up not ever wanting to really ever make a definitive statement because my truth is always changing. My, I'm always getting new information and I would, I hate declarative sentences. And so when it came to paranormal phenomena, whether it be what people call ghosts or UFOs or spiritualism, psychic powers, the occult, whatever, I found that I was really taken aback when I would meet someone who was very learned in the subject yeah. and would say something like, that is a ghost. Right. And that blew my mind because I, it's like, no one knows what a fucking ghost is. Can I swear? Yeah. I didn't know even ask. Oh, yeah, I yeah, swear yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. So it's like, no one knows what a ghost is. Like, we each have our own separate ideas about what they might be or might not be. Right. And for you to start declaring that is a UFO, that is a ghost, that is Bigfoot. Those people who make statements like that, I've found throughout my life, are leading you down a very dangerous path. Right. They're saying they have the answer and you should trust only them to have the answer. That is a person to be worried about. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and the thing that was so, I mean, we're just launching in here, I guess I, I do want to back up and get a little bit of history on you for, for anybody who's not familiar, but um, the thing that, that sort of blew my mind in that other interview was how you're saying these types of things. Everything you just said is, is so in line. Like it's so in line with my thinking, but also my personality. Like I share that trait with you hundred percent, but I come from a conservative Christian background and 
but the, what you're saying, if you put God in there instead of Bigfoot, it is exactly uh, the thing that has bothered me that's been hard to articulate. Even, you know, it wasn't even until I was in my 30s that I started to be able to unpack this stuff because uh, people would say stuff about God or, or whatever. And, and I'd be like, has your life has your life given you that kind of confidence? And then you wonder like, what the hell is wrong with my life? <laughs> you know, like that right. you've, that while well, seemingly everyone has had this uh, experience of God or Bigfoot or ghosts or whatever, you know, seemingly everyone has had this. And, you know, you, you just, you recognize at a certain point that, um, fuck you all, this is some kind of currency. The, your certainty is a currency that you could, um, you know, because in the absence of, you know, the ability to absolutely prove something, certainty is the next best thing. You, you, know, you know what I mean? Like you follow a leader who is certain and then you kind of take on the idea that uh, my certainty can also make me some kind of, of leader. And, and it's, it, but the dissonance that comes with that uh, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that you see, whether it be in politics or uh, someone's personal philosophy, like when you are a child, you do adopt your parents' ideologies and their beliefs because that's what is given to you through your parents. And as you grow up, you start to develop your own, usually, people usually do. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think well-rounded people start hopefully. to question, hopefully, yeah. that like, am I believing the right thing? Am I thinking the right ideas? And they challenge themselves to think better and have better ideas and to construct larger ideas with people around them. And what's interesting to me is that it seems like at a certain point, people in adulthood revert back to childhood in saying like, well, I like what that one group or guy says. So now that's what I believe too. Right. And they immediately give up the quest and the search for knowledge right. and say, yeah. I found a group that already figured it out. I found a guy who already figured it out. So I'm just going to follow them and I'm going to yeah. stop thinking. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Like looking for a new kind of spiritual mommy and daddy and just going with that. And I think that's like, that's the order of the day with kind of the modernist uh, way of thinking that we have. It's like we take... Uh, you know, we, we jump from certainty to certainty. I'm sure you've, you've experienced this. So at, at one point I was, uh, I was positive I was going to become an atheist because mm -hmm. I was just like, I can't do this anymore for this very reason. I'm like, I'm th over 30, I'm 32, 33 years old. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I am not having an experience of God. So what the hell? And so I was positive I was becoming one and and then you'd meet these atheists with the same kind of, not only did they have the same kind of certainty or insecure certainty, but it was, it was like, it was almost like they forget, or, or it's almost like they felt like they had actually changed the, the underlying substructure of their minds when they, when they decided they didn't believe anymore. And I was like, wow, I mean, that would be an amazing psychological feat, you know, that you are no longer a Judeo-Christian human being, you know, like that just seems, seems kind of nutty uh, to me. I mean, that seems, it's harder for me to believe that than it is to believe you when you've seen a ghost, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, the other thing is too, is there are a lot, and I get into arguments with people. I have friends who are atheists and scientists oh, yeah, me and too. mechanized materialists. Like we talk about it all the time. And one of the things that we get into a little rows about and conversations about is 
how genuinely dishonest they are about how they proclaim what they believe. So like, I have friends who are like, there's no such thing as an afterlife or ghosts. You're here for a brief span of time, then you die. Uh, you, you're, there's nothing left of you. It's just gone. Uh, we're an aberration in a mechanized system. Uh, the consciousness is an illusion created by chemicals within the brain. Like that's yeah. their structure. Right. But they have kids that they tell that they love. Right. And I'm like, do you explain to your children that you don't really love them? Do you explain to them that what you call love is just biological outgrowth of dopamine neurons and neurochemical receptors in your brain yeah. that have evolved to make you protect them? And in that protective system, you convince them that there's a thing called love, which isn't true, right? You just said yeah. it's all just chemicals and yeah. just a, an aberration. Yeah. And why are you a scientist? What are you collecting information for? If you genuinely believe that there's no point to any of this except the momentary existence, then once the planet explodes, everything that we've ever worked for to do is for naught, trying to advance ourselves for, to what goal? Yeah. Like If you really believed it was all for naught, you would be heralding our march into extinction at this moment. There's right. no point. Or, or perhaps return to uh, some kind of more animalistic... A way of you know just kind of return to more of an evolutionary thing, but I mean uh, the uh, on the flip side of the coin because I, I've got a lot of friends who are atheists and and uh, and that kind of thing. On the flip side of the coin, um, people of of faith in the modern world. I I mean I, I find that uh, like Connor Habib, I'm against everyone because uh, those people will say that their love is pure because it's 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 absolutely from God. You know what I mean? Right. It's that they don't even like once they trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. Uh, now their love is is just beamed. They're just kind of a mirror. The love of the pure love of God comes out through them, and and uh, you know, and I I eat the actual body of Jesus every week, uh, and I I drink his blood every week because it makes me a different person. And and really underneath it all, I'm garbage. So that means I'm humble, right. but <laughs> you know. Right. So, so it's it's like this weird thing where I think you and I personality wise I'm I'm developing a picture of some similarities where it's just not possible to live with all those wounds closed up and with all the like I don't know maybe I'm being too poetic in 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 my phrasing there but with you know there there it, there are open wounds that it takes to live in this world like just things that you're not sure about they it it you know it might cause you pain sometimes but it also it also kind of means you can see you can actually see reality once in a while like once in a while you feel like you get a glimpse of reality like i don't know if you know the prayer of saint francis where it says uh help me so, not so much uh seek to understand to be understood as to understand right and, and uh i i feel like uh we I, I take that as, as I mean, I don't know if it was intended that way, but as, as an actual directive is that I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to meet God or meet whatever. I'm not going to meet reality if my determination is always to declare uh, and right. to, and to assert and to change reality. You know, I think, I think we can get quite a long way just wanting to understand and never, and never deciding that we do. Well, one of the things that I say at my lectures and that I've said for years is if there are no ghosts and UFOs and Bigfoot, if there's no lake monsters, if there's no heaven, if all of those are just 
folkloric archetypal concepts that have been brought up so that human beings can engage with each other and talk about our experience, our human experience. If that's all they are is a mechanism to discuss with other humans, then they are still vastly fucking important. Yeah. Because they give us the opportunity to talk about what's going on in our brains. Yeah. And that's super important. Yeah. Language to do so and a focal point th- uh, to, to focus on. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that today uh, through uh, with uh, specifically the um, the Catholic, um, what do you call it? Um, the Catholic um, communion and, and and the drinking of the of the blood and the eating of the uh, of the body because they've just removed they've just removed an, an old uh, um, Negro spiritual uh, if that's the right word an old spiritual song from their hymn book because it it didn't properly describe uh, the body and blood of Christ uh, in the ceremony and and to me I was thinking wow so that is so interesting so th- they're so they're kind of almost so determined that this thing that this transubstantiation actually happens that um, it's almost like th- this is nothing. We're doing nothing if that's not happening. You know what I mean? Right. Like if we portray this as bread and wine, the, all the magic is gone. And it's like, well, no, I mean, exactly what you're talking about. What about centuries of a whole bunch of people doing the same uh, right. thing together, sharing the same thing and the symbolism? I mean, even if you were a cannibal in that moment, mm-hmm. even if you were a Jesus cannibal in that moment, right. uh, the real change would come from your consciousness's interaction with the importance of that, right? Because if I, if I drink your blood, I'm just a, a weirdo, you know? Right. So the idea, is, uh, the idea is it's still the consciousnesses of millions of people doing something together. And I mean, I don't want to disrespect it because I do think the firm belief in that probably does make some really crazy shit happen uh, sometimes. Yeah, well, and we know as humans, like, psychologically, you can test for this, which is ritual is important. Like, it can make a big psychological difference. I mean, the grieving process is ritual. It's something that Mm. we've learned to do. Confession is a ritual. It's why we, even if we're not religious, we talk to friends when we have problems. These are things that, you know, the reason that there's a confession is they figured out how to do getting drunk with your friends or commiserating with your friends, but doing it with a priest. Like they just figured out and made rules to it. But Mm. the ritual process of sitting down and saying like, I'm part of this, I'm drinking this wine, I'm eating this bread. I'm connected to a much older ritual of, like you said, millions of people over thousands of years, hundreds of years, whatever, like that connects you every morning. Like, so I do, I practice what people consider magic and witchcraft, but like my rituals are very much tied to my ancestors and my family and my life. I wake up every morning, I make a pot of coffee. I have a shelf that is all of my grandfathers and grandmothers, and there's a coffee cup there and I pour them the first cup and I set it on their shelf and then I pour myself a cup. Then in my first cup of coffee every morning, I stand in front of all those pictures and I tink that coffee cup on their shelf <laughs> and I look at them and I remember them and there's a blank frame because I know that there's ancestors that I don't know and, and people who have mm. affected me that I'm not remembering. And there's a mirror of myself to remind me that one day my nephew is going to have a picture of me on a shelf and I'm someone's ancestor. Mm. Like, and it's magic. Like I'm yeah. doing something to connect myself to the past and to also align my thoughts 
forward? Like, I, do I want to even be an ancestor that's worthy of remembrance? Right. Yeah. The intention there is really, is really the important thing, you know, it's, the, mm -hmm. and, and I, and I do think that uh, there, I think it's really silly to to say where power is and isn't, mm -hmm. uh, and I wonder how much you've experienced um, kind of uh, people's openness, people's varying levels of openness, actually directly dictating what they experience. Uh, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, well, in the paranormal community, you have three large factions, the three biggest factions, which is ghosts and hauntings cryptozoology, Bigfoot and monsters, and then UFOs and aliens. Like those are the mm. three big main subgroups of that clique. Yeah, I love them all. I love them all too. <laughs> and so the quote that I use all the time and I've used for decades now is to diversify your weirdness because people who believe in ghosts think that people who believe in Bigfoot are crazy. And people who believe in Bigfoot think people who believe in UFOs are crazy. And people who believe in UFOs think people who believe in ghosts and Bigfoot are crazy. Right. And the thing is, is it's all fucking crazy. Like where does your crazy stop? Because in all honesty, you know, I was on a MUFON, uh, the mutual UFO network, who's like a large UFO group. Uh, I was on one of their conference calls, and in their conference call, they were talking about, well, are we allowed to make Bigfoot sightings? And the head of MUFON was like, no Bigfoot sightings. And someone said, what if someone reports a UFO and Bigfoot gets off of it? And he said, well, then you report the UFO, but you don't report Bigfoot. Oh, man. That's crazy. What? That's insane. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, it's an insane situation, but it's an insane answer. Like that's, I mean, that's dogma right there. That's religious. That's yeah. the Presbyterians fighting with the, you know, right. uh, Seventh-day Adventists, you know, like, it, yeah. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I, I said to someone once I was sitting at dinner with a couple of people and there was a little girl, one of the uh, people I was with had brought her daughter who was like six and she whispered something to her mom and her mom started laughing and said, ask John. And the little girl looked at me and said, um, she said, why are there no ghost dinosaurs? And the whole table like stopped and looked at me as if I had some kind of answer to it. But the first thing that popped into my head is I looked at this little girl and I looked at like the wonder in her eyes and I wanted to give her something more. Like I wanted to give her something even weirder than ghost dinosaurs. Right. And I looked at her and I said, why do you think that no one can catch the Loch Ness Monster? And she went, what? And I said, it's a ghost pleasaur. It's a ghost dinosaur. <laughs> and the whole table was like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's why not? That would, yeah, why not? I mean, I'm sure that son yeah, sonar might not pick it up because it's a ghost and maybe it chooses to be seen when it chooses to be seen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nessie. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, and I love that diversify your weirdness thing, uh, you know, because. I do think that I do think that every system is just riddled with fallacies. I mean, everybody walks around, we have an overlay that's on top of the world and and our overlay directly affects what we see and what we don't see and we're all off, you know. And so if we want to see uh you know, if if we dive into all of these different things, I mean, if if we at least listen to people, you know, listen to people as though they're telling the truth. Uh, we might see a little bit more of reality. And even if we don't, it's going to be more fun. You know, it's going to be more fun. And you can find enlightenment in 
So I have I don't have any secrets about my life. That's just kind of how I've rolled for 30 years. Amazing. Uh, it's easier for me to just talk about everything and not have secrets. So I'm a full-time caregiver to my mother who has Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And that's a obviously very difficult situation. Um, but at the same time, being who I am and being fascinated by reality and, and how we perceive reality, it's fundamentally interesting to me that I am standing in a room in front of my mother and she's looking at me, but I'm not me to her. Mm. She doesn't know who I am. So yeah. her son is somewhere else, even though her son is standing in front of her. Yeah. Like, and that's just an, an instance of how her reality is completely different from mine. Yeah. But we're in the same room looking at the same things, yeah. but we're having totally unique and separate experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, it, it's fascinating. And it makes, me, it makes you wonder because we, we, know, we see these things when, uh, like these kinds of things jump out in the extreme situations like Alzheimer's and that kind of thing. But, but what's to say that there aren't all kinds of, of other, you know, I mean, we've, we've been in these situations where we, you've been in a situation, you come out of it and two people from the same situation just had completely different takes mm-hmm. on, on what, what, it, what happened. And, and so these things just like things like Alzheimer's just kind of highlight that. Uh, and, and it's fascinating. I mean, you, you're, and, and I don't mean any disrespect if I talk about your mother's experience because I don't know her, but no, it's fine. I, I think people with Alzheimer's, you know, it's possible that they're time traveling in their, in their minds, yeah. you know, yeah. that they're, that they're moving, well, definitely moving backwards in time and, uh, uh, or moving forward to a point where I don't exist anymore. Like you don't, you can't really say, you know, and then, not, you know, language is how we communicate, but it's a terrible form of communication. When, when you were talking, when you were saying like, um, you know, it doesn't like someone's experience. One of the, one of the examples I give about two people being next to each other uh, and someone seeing something or having experience and someone not. Yeah. You know, at my lectures, I talk about when we first started sending astronauts into space, um, dual astronauts, they reported that there were these giant balls of light that were entering the ship. And NASA was like, oh, we have to put up more shielding. There's like some kind of electrical sparks happening within the ship. And they would radio back and forth and they would say, do you see it? And both astronauts, I see it, I see it. Well, come to find out there was, there was some type of leakage into the ship, but it's, it was cosmic ray particles and the cosmic ray particles weren't entering the ship. They were entering the inner fluid of the eyes of the astronauts. And they were seeing hallucinations of white balls inside the ship. But when you asked both of them, they said they both saw it. But they're both seeing a different cosmic ray hitting their eye. But when I say, oh, I'm seeing a ball of light, and the person next to me is like, I'm seeing a ball of light too, you're going to assume it's the same ball of light. Whoa, <laughs> Whoa that's so cool. Interesting. Uh, so I, I guess uh, I'm, I'm curious about how all of this got started for you in terms of like um, how you got into paranormal investigation and and what your maybe like what your beliefs, if any, were about the paranormal uh, at the beginning. Yeah, so um, a lot of people in this field have some type of youth experience where they say they were abducted or they saw a ghost or something like that and that got them interested. 
And that is not me at all. I uh, was raised in a completely non-religious household, uh, just lots of books in the house about every topic that, you know, people wanted to read about, my mom and dad wanted to read about. And I was a pretty voracious reader. And um, I was a punk rock kid in the 80s. And I got to the paranormal pretty much because I hated people telling me what I could and couldn't think or talk about. And whenever I brought up things like witchcraft or magic or ghosts and UFOs, people would always scoff and say like, well, there's nothing to that you shouldn't think about. Don't waste your time. And that pissed me off as a, like a 13, 14 year old punk rock kid. I was like, well, fuck that. I'm going to think about whatever I want to think about. So then I started going to libraries and checking out books and trying to read as much as I could. So that if someone said there's nothing to it, I could say like, well, you don't know what you're fucking talking about. You've brushed it off and never studied it. Hmm. And slowly but surely, by the time I was like, uh, I think I was 16 when I got my first mentor, a man named Craig Ciccone. And Craig was a uh, teacher at Wayne State University who specialized in uh, conspiracy theories and political assassinations of the 1960s and 70s. Oh, wow. Cool. And so I I was a gopher for him. So I made coffee and did paperwork and learned how to file Freedom of Information Act requests and deal with the government. And I thought, probably I would be like a conspiracy theorist history teacher as I got older. Uh, and then when I was, so the, the, the next big kind of turning point, Craig is one. Um, but the next kind of big turning point was when I was 18, I had a heart attack and I died. So okay. it's just, it happens. I mean, people always ask like, what was wrong? What happened? Whatever. Like sometimes we live in a world where sometimes 18 year olds and young people just have heart attacks. Like it happens. Our bodies are flawed mechanisms. Um, so I had a heart attack. Uh, I was uh, flatlined for like a total of like three and a half minutes, which is really close to brain damage starts around four. Uh, they obviously got me back, uh, obviously. <laughs> Uh, and and then I went through the kind of trauma therapy of what it was like to die and then come back and the anxiety attacks and kind of the PTSD that stems from that. But then I became interested in, well, what happened to me? What happened to me when I died? What could have happened to me when I died? All of the stuff that I had read previous about, you know, ghosts and hauntings, like all of a sudden took on a much more vivid like life to them. So I started studying folklore and mythology in college. And my second year of college, a friend of mine called me and said, there's this show called Unsolved Mysteries. They need a researcher. Do you want to research for this television show? So I dropped oh, out wow. of college, dropped out of college, became a researcher for Unsolved, and then just never looked back. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you got into un Unsolved Mysteries territory. So I guess <laughs> that would have been... That's great. So uh, you, I guess you were entering into sort of um, the official kind of professional world of this kind of thing early in your career. Okay, that that's interesting. I was, I was curious how you kind of made the leap because I know now you've been involved in some shows and that kind of thing. And so when you were writing for, by the time you were writing for Unsolved Mysteries or researching for Unsolved Mysteries, what kind, like had you had some paranormal experiences that you were kind of um couldn't explain at that point or was it still just an interest yeah i had had i mean even while i was in my teens like i was pretty obsessively reading about ghosts and ufos and bigfoot because i was still a punk rock kid interested in weird stuff 
And by that time, I had made friends with other fringed communities with ceremonial magicians and witches and mm. uh, metaphysicians. And, you know, at that time, I would hang out at metaphysical conventions to meet weird people and UFO conventions. That was in my younger teen years. Yeah. So, you know, by the time I started working for Unsolved, and like I said, that was after I had died. After I died, I did this deep dive into my mind where I was like, what can the human mind handle? So I was going to college at the time. So I started signing up for psychological experiments at the college, sleep yeah. deprivation experiments, flotation <laughs> tank experiments. I joined every like magicians club in the, in the world, you know, Society for American Magicians, the International Brotherhood of Magicians. I wanted to learn sleight of hand and trickery. And uh, so I think when I started working for Unsolved, even though I was only 22 at the time, I had a really well-rounded grasp of like, this is how psychics can trick you. Uh, this is uh, the environmental uh, aspects of hauntings. Uh, this is the history behind the idea of Bigfoot. This is the history of the idea behind UFOs. Mm. And so I had a pretty well-rounded knowledge base, even pretty early on. Mm. That's really, really interesting. Okay. Uh, and so what I liked about, uh, like about your story is that this death experience, I don't, I, normally you'd say near death, but. No, like I call it a death experience because I died. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, the, I, I find that that's, that might be kind of a common thing among people with some kind of, uh, I'm trying to use as vague language as I can, but I'm thinking like spiritual, almost uh, spiritual experience uh, where th there is a certain experience or a certain time or moment where it, it, it seems like their investment in like sort of their, their own psychological investment in, um, in things increases kind of, kind of suddenly where, where like you, you all of a sudden you, when you were researching these things, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as much as a, of a joke anymore because you'd kind of had this experience. Yeah. I think for me though, I, I mean, I, I've belonged to a lot of club, uh, a lot of clubs of people who've had death experiences and near death experiences and for, you know, 20 years now, 25 years, 30 years, whatever it is. Um, and I think the thing that's interesting is that it does a lot of times lead to spiritual transformation. Mm. And it, it kind of did that for me, but what it did for me mostly was it made me so much more interested in what seems to be our shared reality. Mm. Like it didn't make me any more religious. It didn't right. make me uh, convince me to go on a quest looking for God. Right. It, it put me on a quest of, looking and engaging with the universe around me yeah you got a little slap uh you know existential slap in the mm -hmm. face and then all of a sudden you know yeah I, I i get that sort of this the fog kind of clears and i bet but i think that's uh i i think that the the good and important thing about your story is that you are viewing it as very much your own because there are people who would probably want to grab you right away and tell you what happened to you and get you into another system and another, another, oh, yeah. you know, ideology of belief. And I kind of, I kind of feel like, um, well, I had, I had an experience um, that was basically just a strong emotional reaction to a particular scripture read once uh, right during a time when uh when, well, this was when I thought I was becoming an atheist uh, myself. So I'm just, uh, it's, it's funny to compare this experience to your actual dying because it's, you know, they couldn't be much more different in terms of, you know, this, how it sounds in a story, but there was this, 
uh, the, the verse was, uh, and I can't remember it exactly, but it's, it's go from the, go from this land in your father's house to the land that I will show you. Um, and, uh, and I wasn't prone to these kinds of experiences at all, but I had this, this very visceral reaction to it, uh, weeping and, and stuff. And then, and, and then, uh, all of a sudden I, I felt like I was looking around for the first time at the world. And I, and I thought, and I would talk to God and be like, you know what, uh, I might, uh, you know, I, I cannot promise you that I'm going to think you exist <laughs> in, in, in a year because I that there was this there was this this feeling of being freed up from that. So um, anyway, I, I I think the blessing that I had and that I think you had was that that so, somehow that weird internal trust uh, that it was important that this be your reaction. It was important that this be your story and that 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 you that where you go from there uh, with this sort of with your eyes open uh, shouldn't shouldn't be made to look like anybody else's right experience. yeah I, I talk one of the things i tell people and this might sound strange to some people but the my experience so that's my long dark night of the soul right like that's the my transformative experience hmm. um and i think that most people get them unfortunately i think that most people get them on their deathbed and hmm. it's pretty too late to make any changes and i feel right. that's very sad yeah. but for me uh, when I opened my eyes in the hospital and have my first recollections of being alive again, uh, there was a cork board across from my bed and it had a oaken frame around the cork board. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I fixated on the, on the brown stain and the brown color of the oak wood. And I spent, I don't know how long being so amazed at the color brown and because I realized that I there was the possibility that I would have never seen something so mundane again <laughs> yeah and and the fact and the beauty in the mundane color of brown because there will come a time when I have eyes no more right and so I won't experience it the way I experience it now yeah. as far as we know or yeah. think um but like, so even in that moment, when I realized that crying and being, feeling hurt can be beautiful, like the, the ability to feel pain, like what an amazing thing, a gift, you mm. know, and, and, and being able to change my thinking about just that whole host of, of the human experience. Yeah, well, and that's that's really interesting. I think it says something about your personality there too. That even in that moment, the mun the mundanity or whatever the mundaneness of the brown was something you were conscious of, mm -hmm. uh, rather than just saying, "Oh, everything is now beautiful," and I'm now that you know. It's like, no, no, every, right. lots of things are still mundane. <laughs> I I can just uh, notice them and appreciate them. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and and I, I um I think that's that's really really great and and really. Um, I kind of wonder if we are not all um, missing uh, some of the some of the joy of of the subjectivity of our experience. Um, so we 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 talk a lot about shared stories and and like I say, we're really quick to get invited into and forced into systems of belief where we all believe the same things and and yet the the uniqueness of of each person can't can get lost as well. So, I mean, it, it, it just sounds to me like you, there was no, really no chance of you ever being a, not a unique uh, person. <laughs> well, I, I also, 
I also really internalized and over the years have come to understand what I think is a very kind of easy, almost tropish idea, but difficult to really internalize, which is the each unique expression of individual humanity, each one of us on the planet, the thing that we have in common is that we are unique. Mm -hmm. Our uniqueness is our commonality. Mm -hmm. And if we ever need to draw on something, it's that thing. Like mm -hmm. there is no one else like you or me or anyone. Like we're mm -hmm. each unique to the universe. Yeah. And that's what we share with each other. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Uh, I, I talk a lot about the mystery of the self uh, with people on the show. And, uh, and that's, uh, you've expressed it beautifully, because um, if you like, even just even just with one other person, just a friend, um, it, it's a gift that you give them to, uh, to keep the door open to what they can be to, to things you that can be revealed about themselves. And it's like, it's like this, uh, it's like this beautiful fractal thing because you're assuming that that they can surprise you or that something unique is there that there's more to discover and then when they sense that you know even in their body or through conversation then they find it you know they they might find something new they might show that to you and then you can also turn that back into yourself because you must assume there are are depths of yourself that you may never find that you know or that you may that you may find because you because of this openness you know it's one of my mentors who passed away long ago uh i was we used to meet he was a minister uh i made friends with him a few years before he died he was uh my he was the the first time I ever went to church was to see this guy because a bunch of people I knew were like, you need to go to church. It's not It's not at all what you think it is. Uh, I had tried to go to church in the past and it would always turn me off. Like I, Detroit has a ton of Baptist church and, and Pentecostal churches and there's a big Catholic church in my city. I tried to go to all of them and it just turned me off. I didn't like it. Yeah. And everybody told me to go to this church. I ended up becoming friends with the minister we would go out for coffee sometimes after Sunday service. And I was talking about all this weird stuff, UFOs and ghosts. And he was looking at me, this older gentleman, he started laughing. And I said, what are you, why are you laughing at me? And he goes, um, he goes, you're talking about so much that I think about that I never say. He goes, it just, it's so wonderful that so much of your uniqueness is in me. And I said, well, I think it's cool that so much of your wisdom is kind of hidden in me somewhere. And he got mm -hmm. real serious and he looked at me and he goes, do you realize that you're just me in disguise? Right. And I'm, I'm just you in disguise. He's like, there's, there's just one of us, but we've disguised ourselves. Mm. And <laughs> I've never forgotten that. And now when I talk to people, I realize like, Oh, like you're me. You just look different and have a different life, but you're yeah. going to show me things about myself. You're going to reveal yeah. to me things I didn't know. Uh, I, I actually think that's really beautiful. Uh, and it's one of those ideas that isn't immediate, like it's immediately compelling, but it's not immediately, you don't immediately understand it. And, right. and maybe you never will. And I had sort of an experience the other day, um, just in, in, in thinking, that's where a lot of my stuff comes is, is in thinking and talking to myself in isolation. But um, it was, it, it was that, uh, it was a similar idea and it was that um, I want to approach 
every person that I talk to, and this is obviously a, a matter of faith. It's not, it's not something that I, I actually can do, but you want to approach every person, um, not just with the potential that they might, but with the expectation that they will change you. They will become part of you and they will change you. And, and whenever, whenever you're graced to, to be able to do that in a moment, it's, uh, it really is a, is a powerful thing. And I think it's one of the reasons that podcasts and, and, uh, and stuff have taken off because you might actually have some of these moments. You might actually just experience it between two other people. Um, mm -hmm which is it's it's really compelling uh another another um way to to phrase it is you know the the bible verse now we see things as in a mirror dimly but then we sh shall see each other face to face uh you know or uh, I, i'm terrible with these uh, people are going to correct my my bible stuff <laughs> it's all right. I, I was talking to my friend the other day and i i, I that verse came to my head and i did but i never do which is get out a bible and read it out loud and i was like holy shit I just realized I was always focused on the dimly part. We're not seeing things clearly. We're not seeing things uh, as we should. We, we're not seeing all of reality. But then I was like, it's a fucking mirror. Mm -hmm. Like that, the Bible just said <laughs> that I look into reality and it's a mirror. Like, mm -hmm. and it doesn't say that that's not God. It doesn't say God's not in the mirror. It doesn't, right. seem, you know, like it, it's very open and I mm -hmm. love that kind of stuff. I mean, that's where the, that's where those kinds of scriptures and I'm sure that I know they're in all kinds of different uh, faiths, but that's where it becomes like this kind of magical thing. It's like, holy crap, I can look at reality. I can, I can kind of see it as seeing myself in reality. I can see it when I'm trying to see God, I'm seeing myself. I can see that when I talk to John Tenney, I'm seeing myself and uh, it, it is really crazy and it is really, uh, I don't know, like. When I, when I went to that church the first time um, and I was like, okay, let's see what this guy's got. Like, everybody's told me he's great. Let's see what's yeah. going on. And uh, the first time I went there and he, uh, he said, so he goes, I didn't write a sermon for today, for Sunday. He goes, so we're going to talk about Charlie Brown. And we're going to talk about the fact that no matter how many times Lucy holds the ball up, Charlie Brown runs for it. And we all know every single time she's going to pull it away and he's going to fall on his back. But Charlie Brown never will not run at the ball. And we're going to discuss that. And he did an entire Sunday sermon about like having fortitude and not giving up and believing in something and right. chasing after something, no matter how futile it's going yeah. to be. Yeah. And the only time he pulled out um, the Bible scripture through the whole thing is, is and I really remember this because it was the one time that the Bible came out and he stopped and he said, you know, the, one of the most important parts of the Bible that no one ever talks about and the audience was very silent. And he said, everybody talks about how amazing Jesus was, the son of God, uh, God incarnate on earth, how amazing he was. And people never talk really deeply about the moments on the cross before he dies. He's scared and he doubts everything. And in that moment, he's human. And that's really important for us to understand. And then he went back to talking about Charlie Brown. And that <laughs> like hit, it hit me so hard. Yeah. Because like all, everything he's ever done, everything Jesus has ever said, 
And like in those last minutes, he's like, why'd you give up on me? Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why, yeah. why did you leave me here? Why did you let this happen? And he becomes absolutely human in that moment. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that, uh, that, uh, that's awesome. It sounds like this was a minister who was, uh, engaged in the moment, like he was kind of not, uh, yeah, and that's that's well, a that's super thing. funny that you said that. That's a weird sync that you said that because uh, he and I had a conversation uh, when Dead Poets Society came out, and everybody started saying carpe diem, right? Uh, and Jack used to say that's actually wrong. He's like that means seize the day. What they should be saying is carpe momentum. They should be saying seize the moment, not seize the day. So it's yeah. weird that you said he was living in the moment because he really yeah. was his whole life. Yeah, it's beautiful. And another thing that came into my mind, an image that came into my mind when when you're talking about Christ on the cross being scared. Uh, my wife, we just had a baby uh, two weeks ago. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, number three. So it's not uh, as much of a crazy thing. <laughs> but uh, so we did it at home. And there's this moment uh, in each birth, and I'm sure it's pretty common, where there is a, a few minutes up to an hour of, I can't fucking do this, uh, you know, and, uh, but I mean, it relates, I think it relates to, to Christ on the cross, right? Because it's like, there's this very intentional thing that's, that's happened that you've, that you've worked towards. And I mean, like Jesus, I don't want to, I, 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 I don't want to think of Jesus as, as being a hundred percent always in, uh, in the know about what was going to happen. Right. So right. Jesus was taking steps towards something that, um, was like, well, I, I know, you know, I, I, I intuit that it's going to be bad, but it's important. And I'm going to do it anyway. And then, and then at a, a certain point, you, you, the football's there and your foot's going through the air and, and, you know, and, and you've, you've done it. Um, and I, I just, I don't know, I'm throwing that out there because, uh, it, it seemed like a weird uh, duality and, but it's, but I guess it does speak to the fact that, um, when we engage, like when we really engage in reality and make choices specifically to, to be, to be here, to be in the moment and to, to kind of engage in this life, you're almost guaranteeing yourself that those falls, like, mm -hmm. and there is a point of, there is a point of no return, but I also think those are moments where after that, you, you have to say, uh, you, you have to say you did it. You, you went through with it and there's a certain kind of self, uh, possession might not be the word. There's a certain kind of just, um, self-belief or even a belief in something beyond yourself that can't help but happen because of that fall, because you got to a point where you couldn't go any further, you know, uh, like, or you felt you couldn't go any further. I don't know if that's, this is, if this is resonating uh, no, I got with it. you at all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, my last story about Jack, that minister, uh, because you just said about, you couldn't go any further and stuff. So every Sunday sermon, he would end uh, his Sunday sermons by saying, uh, he would say all, whatever his sermon was. And then he would say, and that's the way it really is. And he would laugh really loud because <laughs> he knew he, he knew that he had no idea. Yeah. He, he would go, that's the way it really is. And he'd yeah. laugh. And then he'd, he'd say, okay, now go out there and go forward. And that's how he ended every Sunday service. Mm. So when he got lymph, uh, lymphatic cancer um, and uh, he made everybody promise that we wouldn't have a, a service for him after he died. He's like, I don't want one. Uh, I'm going to have my funeral service this week. 
Uh, I'm going to bring everybody in. I'm going to sit in the front row and you guys can talk about how awesome I am. He's like, I don't want, he's like, I don't want to have a funeral service where all my friends get together after I'm dead and I can't see them. So we had his funeral service while he was alive, which was awesome. Amazing. Yeah, that does sound um, amazing. Yeah, it was great. And then um, later that week he died. And on wow. Sunday, the next Sunday, the associate minister got up there and he said, uh, we promised Jack that we wouldn't have a service for him, but I just wanted to point out to the congregation that every single Sunday, Jack would tell us to go forward. And that's how he ended his message to us every Sunday. And for those of you that didn't realize, Jack died on Thursday, on the 4th of March. He left on March 4th. Go <laughs> forward. Oh that's amazing. Because he ended our sermons with go forward and he ended his life with March 4th. That's, uh, Wow. That's, I mean, uh, that, I mean, I've lost it. Like, I get chills thinking about it now. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, wow. That's that's awesome. Uh, all of this, I mean, there's just a, a lot going on in my brain based on this because it's, it's such real stuff. Um, but uh, something that I was wondering about, um, we're talking about being in the moment, carpe momentum, and uh, instead of seize the day, seize the moment. Um, and... I, I've been thinking about this this week because um, somebody asked me to write something down about my um, about when I experienced God, and uh, it was for uh, uh, I go to an Anglican church and it was for the newsletter, and so I sat down and I I was writing it and I really wanted to say that part of my experience of God is kind of getting myself into the present moment, which is kind of the um, the standard trope. And then I realized uh, that for me, being in the moment um, is actually something, it's a grace to me. It happens. I stumble into being in the moment when these little ways that I maybe can sometimes access uh, what I feel is God, you know, God consciousness or whatever, that whatever these things are that get me there, I kind of I cannot claim to be able to center myself in the moment uh, and, and get there. It's always been difficult. If I've med tried to meditate and that kind of thing, and it's, it's very difficult. So I guess I'm wondering if, um, if there's any element of, of that in your um, paranormal uh, stuff, like, like where, where a paranormal experience might um, kind of bring you into the present moment and may, is that a, is that a part of is that a part of the attraction to it or anything like that or or do you anything else about being how to get into the moment i mean i really try what if i'm doing an investigation of a haunted house or if i'm you know trudging through the forest looking for bigfoot or talking to ufo abductees like i really am trying to be present all the time hmm. um i find myself connected to the universe the way that people say that they feel connected to god or having god moments things like that where mm -hmm. they really are connected to something larger i find that that happens when i'm writing um when you're writing when i'm writing okay. if i'm writing like poetry or if okay. i'm if i'm playing my guitar um yeah. like those kind of inspired moments where it really doesn't feel like i'm doing it anymore and then I look down and I go, oh, that's fucking brilliant. Like, mm -hmm. how did that come out of me? You know, I'll start writing a poem and I'll 
suffer over the first line and then I'll get the first line down. And then all of a sudden within the next, you know, 30 seconds, I blast out 12 more lines and it ends perfectly. And I'm like, Oh shit, where did that come from? Yeah. Or, or when I'm, again, when I'm playing guitar, I've been in bands since I was 16, 17, you know, punk rock bands and then rock and everything and continue to play guitar. And when you play musical instruments, you find that universal inspiration where all of a sudden, where is this coming from? Mm. Oh, or that's a really good lick. And I never thought of it before, you know? Yeah, I got yeah mine's over there so it's like that's yeah. those are those moments when i realize like i i very well may be connected to something much larger than myself and i first of all i know that i am in the sense that i am a unique individual construction within a giant universe and the universe has only ever shown me personally that it loves to create um and i feel that when I am creating, I am being a manifestation of the universe that has born me. Right. Uh, that, that's, that's really beautiful. And I, I do think it might be something uh, that uh, humans get to uniquely experience uh, kind of because of how open source our mind is, you know, like that we, we, can, uh, we can kind of intentionally engage or, or, or kind of be aware of these creative moments, whereas all of nature is doing it. Uh, all the time you know a lot of things are do, are doing these things uh without without needing it. I, I i sometimes feel like i need like these things i have the same thing i need to almost be tricked like word i have to i have to get something some combination of words in my head and then get and then get going on this thing that just feels like it has a life of its own something you know life it just life happens in my brain and i have to write it down or i have to grab a guitar or sing it or whatever and uh but it's but it's kind of a it's almost like a, yeah, like a little trick uh, or something. And I, I, I've, I've been trying to toy with the idea of maybe, maybe animals are the most spiritual, uh, are more spiritual than us in some way because they're just so in the flow of pure reality all the time. In, my, in the last book that I wrote, um, there's a chapter on animals. And hold on one second. Can you pause for a second? Okay. I just have to run downstairs. I think my mom is calling. Oh, okay. Hold on a second. Yeah, I can pause. I'm good. Yeah. All good. Okay. So I've developed parental hearing living with a person who has Alzheimer's. Like my yeah. brain is always picking up tiny hellos. Yeah. Right. Um, but what I was saying is I wrote a little chapter in, in the last book that I wrote about animals because I'm vegan. I don't eat any meat or dairy products or anything like that. Um, because being in the paranormal world and being the type of person that I am, like I realized that animals are unique individual creations of the universe as well. Mm. At my lectures, I tell people, I'll I'll pick someone out of the front row, usually a man, because some women will get offended, but I'll, I'll point at a man. I'll say, uh, how old are you? And 55. And I'll say, how long did it take to make you? And they, everybody always says nine months. And I go, but it didn't take nine months to make you. It took the life of the universe to make you. It took 14.3 billion years to make you. And the audience kind of sits on that for a second. And then I say, how long did it take to make the spider that you smashed out of existence? 
it took the same amount of time for the universe to make that spider. Mm. The universe did not care less about it. The universe made it as much as it made you. Yeah. And we smash bugs out of existence. We destroy animals as if they are not important. Mm. And I, and we are animals like this planet has borne us as well. If we found something as intelligent as a dog or a pig on Mars, we would spend decades and billions of dollars learning how to talk to it. But since they're on our planet with us, we make them our pets and we eat them. Like right. there's yeah. this weird mental construct. Yeah. And then at the same time in that chapter, I was doing a lecture at a library and there was a little girl, she had her hand raised. And I try at my lectures to not talk about religion. If I'm doing a ghost lecture, it just, it's a hot point and people get mad. And yeah, I've learned that over the years. Um, but a little girl was raising her hand. She was about 12. And uh, the dad was sitting next to her and he's looking at me and saying like, don't talk to her. Like, don't, don't answer her questions. It's going to be, don't. And I said, no, I want to know what she has to say. Like kids yeah. are great indicators. They're great thinkers. Oh, whether they're or not, we want to give them credit. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. And so I kind of got down uh, in front of her eye level and I said, what's your question? And she looked at me and she said, uh, my dog died last week. Is he in heaven? Ooh. And the audience is silent. Yeah. And much like when we were talking earlier about playing something on a guitar that is inspired or writing a poem that's inspired, I will not be able to say it as well as I said it to her in that moment because now I'm repeating it. But into my head and coming out of my mouth before I had a chance to say it. I looked at her dead in the eyes and I said, I don't know if there's a heaven, but if there is, then it's populated with the songs of birds and the warmth of cat and the friendliness of dogs and the massiveness of elephants and the wonder of whales. And if they're not there, then it couldn't possibly be heaven. <laughs> That's great. And I felt, and then it was gone. And I was like, oh shit, where did that come from? That's like it just, it just fell out of my mouth and my brain. Uh, and it was a lot more eloquent than what I just did. But like, and, and I think about that a lot. Yeah. Like how much, how, how unfortunate it is that animals will have to suffer in heaven with us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, but I, you know, I, I do think it's a beautiful thing, uh, to a beautiful capacity that we have, uh, to be able to, um, kind of appreciate all of the sensory, uh, things that you described there about those animals, you know, like, and, and, you know, and kids understand that better than anybody. Cause they're not, they're not numb to that stuff. Um, some of my best uh, thinking philosophical points that come into the paranormal have come from little kids that say really silly things. And then it drives me into massive quandary of, of you know, uh, one of the chapters in the book that I wrote, there's a, a chapter called Do Ghost Wear Underwear? Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of stems from the fact that people would always tell me that they see ghosts that are wearing dresses and ghosts that are wearing military uniforms. And then I would think to myself, like, well, then they must, if they're wearing clothes, they must be wearing underwear too, right? But like, that seems nonsensical because why would they wear underwear? Like we're only seeing the outside layer of them, but then it would be nonsensical for them to put on clothes and not put on underwear, right? And then I started thinking like, well, where do they get their clothes from? 
like how does that manifest right like yeah like, so could, could you draw from scratch everything that you're wearing right now do you know how many like zippers are on your zip and how many right. buttons are on your buttons and how the right. rivets on your pants are done like could you manifest think of all of those things to make them real again of course not yeah but I, i've never i've never really thought about ghosts forming themselves i kind of feel like they're almost formed by you know the memory of like a bigger memory than their own like they're formed by the memory of uh, a larger space, if not the memory of reality itself. And something causes them to be, uh, uh, something causes their form to, to ab abide uh, uh, longer. And so it's bigger than just their own knowledge of themselves. So one of the things I talk about in my lectures is if a ghost is manifesting like in the room with me, like for it to be able to be solid enough to bounce light off of so that I could see it. Like that, it would have to expend an enormous amount of energy out of the room and the surrounding environment mm. to form something solid enough for me to see. Mm. So I've always thrown out the idea that since they are kind of energetic, ethereal, non-bodied beings, non-corporeal beings, if they work at an ener energetic level, it's a lot less energy consuming to trigger a visual synapse in my memory of them. So when you do talk to people who see ghosts, they say, oh, I saw grandpa, he was wearing the hat he always wears. I saw grandma, she was wearing her shoes. Mm. Like, I feel like in those instances, the ghosts are doing something much more intimate and they are looking through our memories and they're saying, I want you to see me and this is how you remember me. So see me now. And then they flip one little switch and then there's grandma, and there's grandpa. Hmm. And for ghosts that are unfamiliar to us, like we have a lot of images stored in our memory banks. We've watched a lot of movies and we've seen a lot of documentaries. Yeah. And so you go to a Civil War battlefield and even though you don't know that soldier, you've watched Glory or you've watched yeah. a movie about the Civil War. And so I'll trigger that idea of a Civil War soldier. Right. And then you get a fuzzy, blurred outline of a Civil War soldier. Hmm. Have you had much experience of, of two people seeing the same ghost and seeing it differently? Yes. Uh, yes. Because that would lend credibility. That would lend credence to that that way yep. of looking at it, right? Like, uh, so you're taking. It's almost like uh, if your 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 brain is the computer, it's going to take the um, elements that are in there and form the video game uh, based on your operating system or something like that. Yeah. So one of the things I used to do. Um, when I was doing, when I was hosting larger ghost hunts, is I would teach people this kind of silent, almost uh, military hand signals. Like if you heard something, like first of all, you'd put your hand up, right, to stop the whole group from moving. And so like if someone heard something, they'd put their hand up and then they'd point at their ear, which is I heard something. Okay. okay? And then uh, so, like, yeah, I saw something, right? Or talking walking, you know, so that you could convey the idea of what was going on to you. But then if someone else had said, like, if someone, like, if someone nodded and said, like, I heard it too, I would have them take out pads of paper and write down what they think they heard. Because mm -hmm. you don't want one person saying something right. and then influencing all the people around them. Right. After it's done, you can look at all the notes and see if everybody was experiencing the same thing or if they were experiencing individualized representations. Of uh, interesting. So what I guess, uh, you know, I, I feel like some people, if, if they see 
what you do, in, you know, in the title of, of this, uh, and, and we don't have any specific stories, it'll be, a, they might feel like it's a bit of a ripoff, but ha have you had any particularly impactful um, stories in, in your work uh, where you've experienced something paranormal um, that has kind of changed you or, or impacted you, uh, you know, yeah. So yeah. I did years ago, my, one of my first podcasts that I did years ago was this podcast called Realm of the Weird. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Twilight Zone and I've done this for a long time. So I had a lot of case files, like those the file cabinets behind me. Um, so I went through my case files and I turned investigations into these 15, 20 minute yeah. vignettes. I've listened and, to some of them. Yeah. I, I really like them. And so those are like the, the 14 weirdest things that ever happened to me. And one of them is uh, I went to a paranormal convention in Aurora, Illinois, and I got into a car accident. My car got totaled. So I was stuck there for about a week while they fixed my car because it's Aurora, Illinois, and it was the winter and there was like nothing. Yeah, is right. that the Wayne's World place? Is that oh, where oh, Wayne's World? Excuse me. I, I'm, I'm Aurora, Illinois. Uh, I was in, sorry. Uh, Decatur, Illinois. Sorry. So okay. I got two, two different things. But yes, you're right. Wayne's World is in Aurora, Illinois. Oh, I was like, whoa, that's amazing. Okay. Anyway, sorry, Decatur. Uh, in Decatur, Illinois. Uh, yeah, Decatur. Um, so I was waiting for my car to get fixed. And I was in this hotel where the convention had been, but the convention's over now, like everybody had gone home. And it was, it was, it was called the Dead of Winter Convention, because it was in the Dead of Winter. So I'm the single occupant in this 200 room hotel. Amazing. And it, it was amazing, but I like total shining. Like there was snowstorms and I didn't have a car and it was like me and, and one uh, uh, maid and then like the concierge desk clerk. Yeah. So I would sit in my room and uh, on like the second day, I asked the concierge, I'm like, is there a place within walking distance like where I can get a meal? Like, so I can just not eat out of the vending machines. <laughs> and, and he was like, yeah, I go out the back doors of the hotel. There's... Um, an old graveyard you have to walk through. Uh, <laughs> you cross this road, there's a golf course, you turn left, right, and he gave me all the directions. So I wander out in the snowstorm, uh, following his directions, and I get to this diner. Uh, there's like two people in there, snowing like crazy. I have my meal, I walk back to the hotel. A couple days later, uh, the day before my car was gonna be fixed, I trudge back out in the snowstorm, go back to the diner, have another meal, come back to the hotel, pick up my car the next day. And I'm like, well, I've been there twice. I might as well make it a three for, I'll have one more meal there before I go home. So I drive around for like an hour and I can't find this diner. So I'm trying to trace my footsteps because I had walked through a golf course. Like, so I'm trying to look like, look at where the road went around the golf course and I'm following where I, I think my footsteps would have been. And I know that there was this river and then I had to cross a little bridge. So I find the little bridge and I cross it in my car and I'm driving around. I end up going back to the hotel and I tell the concierge, I'm like, I am driving to this diner and I can't find it now because I've only walked there. Give me the directions again. So he tells me, now that you're in your car, out the back parking lot, there's the golf course. And I drive to a diner that he has been talking about that I have not gone to before. And the diner that I've been going to does not exist. It still does not exist. It has never existed. What? Yes. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, so have, I have now, because enough time has passed, I have now gone over that stretch. I've revisited the place again. I've gone over it with Google Earth and Google Maps multiple times. Looking for because, another diner. 
looking for another diner. I've had people who have listened to the episode who live in Decatur, who have gone there, who have tried to find this diner. It's never existed. I ate at a place that doesn't exist. So what do you, so what do you, uh, I mean, I don't want to aside, aside from thinking I'm insane. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess I was gonna say, yeah. What do you attribute that to? I mean, without, uh, you know, causing you to be one of those people who tells it, say it says exactly what something is uh, like, yeah. Well, I guess I'm wondering, are you more, are you more likely, do you, do you find yourself more likely to experience these things because of your past experiences and because of the way that you kind of move through life with some kind of expectation? Like, do you, do you think there's something to that or do you, or what? So no, I, I think that, weird shit happens to us all the time and we don't notice it and i think that the only reason i noticed it is because of the off chance that i wanted to go back a third time like i mm -hmm. think that i think that we probably have really fucked up unexplainable experiences all the time but we're so not in the moment uh, okay. that we that we don't ever understand how screwed up it is and how yeah. messed up it is was your diner so, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so it's like, I think one of the things I've thought to myself over the years is like, I wonder if there is, and this sounds really silly, and I understand that completely. Um, but I wonder to myself, like, if there isn't some other reality of Earth, where that diner exists, and they talk about this guy who came in that doesn't exist. Like, if, <laughs> yeah. if, if yeah. they ex experienced me the way that I'm kind of experiencing them. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is fascinating to, to think about maybe you're a ghost in somebody else's, uh, somebody else's world, you know, uh, and, or, you know, or, or like, was that diner, did that diner exist at a different time? Right. Uh, you know, y y I guess that's another thing you could research, but, uh, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about that because, uh, have you ever read the book Science Set Free by um, uh, yeah. Rupert Sheldrake? Yeah. yeah, he is. He's one of my ultimate guest uh, hopes for the show. Um, he and I talk through email. Okay. Yeah, I've emailed him a couple times. Oh, only long enough for him to say no. He won't be on my show. But uh, <laughs> but he is. But I mean, he's on so many podcasts. He's he's uh, very in demand for that. But uh, anyway, reading his book and uh, he, he's talking about uh, how. Um, uh, when structures are forming, like physical structures are forming, like little, um, uh, like, um, oh man, I'm not even going to be able to say it properly. Like, but like, like crystalline structures. Micro microscopic structures and things are forming um, that there is this kind of, um, there are these kind of wells uh, of, I mean, they're not real wells, but um, that the actual shape that it might form is at the bottom of this well of potentiality where it'll mm -hmm. bounce around into like, things that don't work and then it'll end up in this bottom which is the area of least um energy expenditure or that mm -hmm. kind of thing right and so then you're you're imagining um you're imagining um the shape as a the the, the shape that's forming you're imagining it as an object that's kind of rolling around and bouncing around in a well and ending up at the bottom of the well which is exactly how people will describe gravity uh, you know, um, and the effect of gravity. Uh, and, you know, I've seen that done in, in physical space. And then you're like, okay, so, uh, 
and, and time and gravity are, are you know, space-time, uh, time and gravity are intimately linked. So that, it's just, it's, it's totally impossible to me that we have a full understanding of time. And this is my point. I don't know why I'm rambling about all of this. No, because, you're, because you're right. And it's the things that people should be thinking about. I mean, I, I don't know if I discussed this with Connor on his podcast, but I mean, when people come to my lectures, they hear a lot of my rambling and babble. And one of the things that I tell people, especially like ghost hunters, because ghost hunters are like, oh, I went to this place. I saw a ghost. Uh, it talked to me on my tape recorder. The end. Like, and that's their full experience. And again, like diversify your weirdness, question your reality, right? Question everything. Like belief is an, can be an enemy to you. It can be like oh, stagnation in concrete absolutely. shoes. And so it's like when you have the opportunity to think larger, like allow yourself to do that, like to go beyond that. When, when you talk about like, um, People say, and, and to your point when you were saying, like, there's no way we can know about time. Like, we know, we know definitively that we don't see in a full color spectrum. Like, we see a limited amount of colors as human beings. We hear in a very small frequency of sound. Like, we're missing a huge portion of, of the experience. Yeah. Just biologically, we're incapable of, of experiencing right. anymore. Um, you know, we there are some animals that see higher into the spectrum or lower into the light spectrum than we do. So they exist in a different reality, the way my mom exists in her reality. Like, we just don't know. And so yeah. when you have definitive answers, when you have scientists who, you know, when you, you have that weird uh, dual Cartesian philosophy split from like religion and science, when science kind of wipes away uh, all religion and says, well, it doesn't exist anymore. Like when you do that, you lose like this whole philosophical bent of existing in this universe. You become so much lessened. Yeah. Like I want as many colors and as many sounds. And then, you know, to have scientists say like, well, everybody should be able to read because the priests shouldn't be the only one telling you what's in the Bible. And then the scientists get to the point where there are 1500 theoretical physicists in the world and they tell everyone how the universe works don't worry about reading the books we've yeah. done the math we'll tell you what to do they've become right. their own priest cast right yeah no it's true and that that ties in with sheldrake as well mm -hmm. and, and and then aside from of course like uh religion and philosophy and science are all you know you do want to see with as many colors as you can and uh i think I think I have a faith in in the idea that um, that okay, so I'll back up. Like seeing seeing the um, formation of a of a kind of a microscopic particle uh, in that way, where I was uh, where you're picturing um, actual ob an object which is the theoretical shape in a well and that kind of thing, it, it kind of opens up your mind to think that there are, oh man, there's a, there's a shape to what we don't see. There are shapes to what we don't see and there are forces and fields uh, that we don't see, that we don't measure, that we don't experience. But I, I, I or sorry, I shouldn't say that we don't experience, but we don't see them and we don't measure them. And, right. and so it's, it's even further than 
than metaphorical. I think when you close off this idea of our consciousness engaging in uh, parts of reality that we don't, we haven't identified yet, like a guy going to a diner that doesn't exist. I mean, I'm positive you were back in time, but that's just my, no. Anyway, but you know, uh, I'm, not, I'm just kidding. I'm not positive. And he guesses as good as mine. Like I yeah. still makes me think I'm insane every time I think about it. Uh, it's, it's a great story, but like, it's it just, it's like, it's very limiting to even, uh, to even say that it's a religious reality or a spiritual reality. And, you know, it, it very well could be that, that in, in, a, in a million years, a lot of these things will be explained that people experience and there will be a scientific, like it'll be like, oh, now we can measure these fields of time. Now we can measure these fields of, of whatever. Uh, and, but there'll be new mysteries beyond that, that we'll only experience if we have this open kind of, I mean, the spirituality won't be gone, you know, um, and, and sort of the idea of the, of the paranormal won't be gone. It'll just be, it'll just be a new realm because there'll always be something past what we've identified. I mean, right. I, I, I have that faith too. There will always be weirdness. I mean, again, that goes back to the universe loves to create. Right. And so like, once you find an endpoint, it begins something. Yeah. And I think the universe kind of, I mean, it did, you know, the universe created that concept of like, I'm going to end something and start something immediately after I end it. And I, I wrote one time in an article, you know, when you look at the world through a measured, only mechanized, materialized viewpoint, I, I wrote in this article, I said, let's play it out at some point in the future when the stars have been counted and the weights and measurements are all known and the human soul has been reduced to grams and micrograms and heaven has been disproved or proved and the distance of heaven has been measured. Once we know everything, we can exist together forever yawning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like that's the future that we're promised. Yeah. Once we know everything, great. Then what? Yeah. Then we that's then we can exist forever, being bored. Yep. That that's a that's a perfect way that's a perfect way to say it. And uh, um, it might even be just a, a great way to end, just to say that this this material universe we live in, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't phrase it any better than you said it. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 part of the goal is just to to have experiences that that are, uh, uh, you know, are beyond our understanding, and I think that's beautiful. I guess what I love is how you do it without you do it without religion, and I think that's I think it's super important. P people really need to 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 reengage with reality in that way, with this mystery, and don't assume that that it's all known because uh, because it's not. Well, and, and there is, I mean, personally, again, like I don't have any secrets, like personally, because I don't know, like uh, when I'm, uh, you know, I have, again, rituals that I do every day. And it's very funny because uh, growing up, you know, in a America in a kind of a Judeo-Christian environment where I had friends that were all Catholics and Christians and Baptists and stuff like that. Like I would always see them like do Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know, that type of thing. And when I was really young, I, I made up this thing which starts at my heart and goes to my arms head. And so I do this little hand ritual 
Um, but sometimes when I'm doing that, like I also, just for good measure, because I don't know, say like, and Jesus, <laughs> like, like, and Buddha, and yeah. like, I don't know, like, and, and maybe those paths have something to offer me. They absolutely do. They, they yeah. offer me new avenues to explore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and uh, we were talking earlier about, uh, you know, creation and, and I think, I really do think that uh, ideas are are alive and that we can follow we can follow a path like right now you know maybe maybe Buddha hasn't called you down his his path yet but there might be a there might be a point where all of a sudden you just sense life in that direction right you, know? you say oh there's life there for me there's something there for me and 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 the openness that you have you know you'll follow it and I think and that's I think that's really great yeah I uh, so. If we're going to end, I'll, 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 do, I'll yeah. throw some basics at you just so we can get them in. Yeah, um, let's do it. So one of the things I tell people at my lectures is um, if someone asks you to do something strange and weird and it's safe, say yes. Like have a weird experience. Go do something completely outside of your normal, traditional, everyday. Like just do something weird. Try. Uh, which leads me to... Uh, I call everybody a weirdo. I, I call myself a weirdo. My website is Weird Lectures. My company's called Weird Lectures. Um, when, when I say that, when I when I was first called a weirdo, I was being beat up in high school, and and the guys who were beating me up, I realized in that moment that weirdos didn't beat people up. That weirdos got beat up, and I didn't want to not be a weirdo. I wanted mm. to be the type of person who, even if I get beat up, I'm going to be myself. And then I realized the etymology of the word weirdo is from the word weird, which is W-Y-R-D. It's a 14th century word. And the original definition of weird, W-Y-R-D, uh, it was a, a name that was given to people who didn't follow the writings of the kings and the queens and the land barons and baronesses. It literally means those who determine their own fate. Mm. And so when I call people weirdos, what I'm saying is, I appreciate how strange you are, and I appreciate that you think for yourself. Uh, mm. And then I end my lectures with, uh, my, my lectures are always different, but they always end with this kind of same ending, which is for all of the time, energy, effort, money that you put into trying to explore strange and bizarre avenues of the universe and seeking out weird life and creatures throughout the cosmos. I implore people to spend half as much time exploring and trying to understand all of the weird, wonderful creatures that exist with them in this seemingly shared reality that we have right now. Yeah. And, and that is how it really is. And that is how it really is. <laughs> now get out there and go forward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, and, and a couple of times I found myself uh, sputtering in a way that I don't normally do because there's just a, there's just a lot, you know, I, I, I don't know if you get like pick, you know, mental pictures that you try and you try and chase down and, and, and kind yeah. of that kind of thing. So this has been really great. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, oh, I loved it. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I love, I love that. Uh, I mean, we're all so separated right now. Uh, I do love like seeing people's faces and and like just having good conversations with people. I really miss yeah. the camaraderie of of our 
what used to be normal day-to-day lives. Absolutely, yeah. I actually think that uh, that I'm I'm appreciating conversation even more than I used to. And mm-hmm. I don't know, like uh, just a, a brief story is I, uh, one of the reasons I started the podcast was I realized I was listening to conversations and I'd stop hearing what they were saying. And I would just not turn them off because the cadence, even mm-hmm. just the cadence of two people listening to each other and really talking uh, had a had a kind of a soothing, calming, musical, musical vibe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, this has been great. And uh, I'll let you know when it's up. And uh, yeah. Thank you so much, Aaron. I loved it. Awesome. Me too. That's great. Uh, So. uh... 